Hello and welcome to the Treasures of Destiny podcast. We trust that you're well kept of the Lord. Thank you for choosing to join us as we interact with God's Word. Stay tuned. I will begin and I want us to go to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Now, this is a lengthy passage, but I thought it is uh, going to be Uh, an important passage to speak to us in this season and in this time. Uh, We have had a prolonged, uh, difficult period uh, brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, we have been sharing many other things that I thought were necessary to deepen us and strengthen us in our foundation in God. uh, Because at the end of the day, Uh, seasons may change but uh, God remains the same and so if you want stability uh, you get to you've got to be rooted in him uh, because uh, God remains uh, the same and so that's why my focus and my energy has been to help us deepen our roots in God Uh, you know because uh, when you know God Uh, you know, you will trust him through whatever season it is uh, that you're dealing with. And it gives you the strength to handle and go through uh, whatever season that you find yourself in. And so that's why, uh, while it is okay to speak to us messages that may encourage us uh, in the seasons that we are dealing with, uh, but we need to also appreciate that our journey with God is not seasonal. Uh, you know, remember Psalms chapter 1, uh, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor uh, stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Then he shall be like a tree planted by the riverside, who bear fruit in every season. So in other words, our fruitfulness is not determined by a particular season per se, but we are meant to bear fruit uh, in every season. So, uh, you know, so that's why I think our rooting and our grounding in God uh, becomes key. God gives us, uh, when we are rooted in him, uh, it gives us stability. That's why Colossians says, being rooted and built up in him. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's key to stability. You can't be able to, you can't be stable outside Uh, a deep knowledge of God. Uh, You can't handle the different seasons that come in life outside a deep grounding in God. And so COVID-19 has been quite a season for many. Uh, It's it's impacted the globe uh, so much economically, uh, psychologically. We have had a lot of people having depression as a result of what, uh, you know, has come with COVID-19. Uh, health-wise, uh, it has impacted us in, in many ways. And uh, so today, I want to go to scripture, and again, we look at uh, Christ uh, and look at how he handled uh, himself in the midst of different crises. Uh, and when you read scripture, one passage that comes to mind that captures it's like a crisis passage, 
you know, Jesus was walking from one crisis into another, you know, from one into another. So this passage uh, gives us a picture of uh, the life of Christ and uh, the crisis that he had to encounter uh, when he walked on the earth. And, you know, uh, so from verse 1 all the way to the last verse, uh, you are dealing with different kinds of crisis that Jesus is dealing with. Uh, just to do an overview, uh, you know, uh, because I think the passage is long, so I may not be able to read uh, the whole of it, but I will read probably uh, bits of it, so you'll allow me to do that, but I'll encourage you to read uh, the entire uh, passage of John, I mean Matthew chapter 14. And so the first part, uh, 12 verses, uh, you know, or a few verses, uh, it speaks about uh, John the Baptist uh, being taken into prison uh, by Herod and the eventual beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, then that after that, uh, you go into uh, feeding of the 5,000, which was another kind of crisis that Jesus uh, dealt with. Uh, people have followed him when he had retreated into the wilderness to take a break. And now Jesus had this crisis of having uh, so many people in need of food, hungry, and diminished resources at that time. And then you go to another crisis shortly after that one, where the disciples are uh, in the midst of the ocean and, uh, you know, there is, uh, they are being threatened by the uh, raging storms uh, while they are in obedience to the command of Christ to go to the other side. And, uh, you know, he creates a crisis. Then he comes to save them and they confuse him with a ghost, which is another crisis in itself. And then now you go to the last part where Jesus now, after crossing to the other side, people... Uh, come around him, they are pressing on him, begging him to heal them and make them well. And uh, the demand of ministry was the last kind of crisis that he was dealing with. Uh, so this chapter is full of crisis. Now, to begin with verse 1, uh, it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, he has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, brothers, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And then of course, you know the story where uh, Herod's daughter, Herod promised his daughter, uh, that he would give her even half of the kingdom. And the daughter, uh, you know, asks in verse 8 to be given uh, John the Baptist's head on a platter. And, uh, you know, uh, the king, although he didn't want to, he felt sorry about that, but he had to fulfill his vow uh, to the daughter. And so as a result, uh, you know, Herod is beheaded. And uh, I mean, not Herod, sorry. John is beheaded and his head is uh, presented to the daughter, uh, his daughter, on a platter as she demanded. And then because of that, or as a result of that, remember, 
John is actually a cousin to Jesus. Now that's uh, their connection in terms of family. So John is a cousin to Jesus. So this is really a family issue. It would affect them as a family. But then uh, John is not only a cousin, uh, John is the one who commissioned Jesus uh, you know, to start out in his ministry. And so John preceded Jesus. He prepared the way for him. So spiritually speaking again, uh, John was significant in uh, you know, the ministry of Christ uh, by introducing him uh, out there into the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Remember John chapter 1. So uh, in a sense, John played a role in ushering Jesus into ministry. So John has a significant uh, you know, place in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Then John gets arrested and uh, you know, you know, one of the crises that comes before this one is that John gets arise, I mean, arrested, and John actually began to question whether Jesus is uh, the person that he really says he is, uh, that God told him he is. He's like, uh, you know, uh, he's the one who said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." But then he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, "Are you really the one?" So that's that's. This is a close relationship between John and Jesus, and now John doubts Jesus because of probably uh, physically speaking. I mean, uh, looking at it from a physical point, uh, Jesus didn't visit John in prison, and John couldn't understand how Jesus. One couldn't visit and how Jesus couldn't save him from uh, Herod's uh, wrath, you know. Uh, and so John questions uh, the anointing on Jesus' life, the grace upon Jesus' life. And you know, uh, in life you can have people question you, you can have people doubt you. Uh, you can handle that, but it is more difficult when the closest, uh, you know, people around you uh, begin to question uh, whether you are really the one called, you know, uh, by God. Uh, the people closest to you, the people who God has spoken to, and the people who uh, have publicly affirmed God's call in your life, when they begin to question you, that's that's tough. It cuts deep, uh, and so. Uh, Jesus, of course, responds uh, to the disciples and tells them, "See what? Uh, go and tell them what you have seen, and then, um, you know, go to go to. Uh, I mean, go and tell John. And then now he says, "Blessed is he who is not offended at me," which tells us something that offense is very dangerous. Uh, you know, it can sabotage uh, the grace, the blessing of God upon your life. And so you've got to guard your heart against offense. And that also tells me something, that don't interpret uh, the, sometimes uh, some of the physical stuff that we expect uh, of others. Don't make them a basis of judging others in your life. You know, uh, John expected Jesus to visit. Jesus didn't. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But I'm just saying, you need to understand the reasons behind before you make judgment. 
John didn't understand the reasons behind and he made judgment at that point. So Jesus, and, and that's how offense comes. So Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended at me. Now, uh, John now in chapter 14 gets beheaded uh, by, you know, Herod. And Jesus now is in this state. He gets the news that John has been beheaded. And in verse 13, the Bible says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. Now notice, what made Jesus withdraw and depart to a deserted place, in other words, he wanted to be alone by himself, was when he heard that John had been beheaded. So it gives you a picture of a man that was grieving. So Jesus now is grieving, uh, you know, at the news of uh, the death of John or the execution of John. So that tells you, you know, the way the Bible says that, uh, you know, even God gets to grieve. You know, uh, obviously uh, there are things that touch God. He is touched by our infirmities. So Jesus uh, withdraws to grieve. And uh, when he is in that place, when he goes to that place uh, to grieve uh, because of the pain of losing one that ushered him into ministry, one that is a close relative. Uh, so that's already a crisis in itself. You know, he's mourning, he's grieving. But then he doesn't have the opportunity to mourn like uh, everybody else would, uh, you know, because what happens is that when he withdraws, it says, but when the multitudes had it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So uh, in a state of mourning, Jesus never stopped ministering. You know, uh, people heard he was, he had withdrawn into the mountains. Uh, instead of them giving him space, they followed him. Uh, I'm sure they knew that Jesus uh, was affected by John's demise. Uh, I'm sure they knew that. But then uh, their need uh, was greater than uh, the desire to give him space, you know. And so their need for healing, their need for, uh, you know, God's touch upon their lives was so strong that it, they overlooked the grief, I mean, uh, the grief of Jesus. They overlooked his state. And they went and, and sometimes, you know, people can place demands uh, on you in your own life. Uh, even at a time when you feel they should understand you can't. You are not in a position to. Uh, but people can still place demands. Reason being, because of the grace of God upon your life, because of the call of God upon your life, because of that thing, the solution that you provide, people can still place demand on you. At a time, you feel, I'm overwhelmed. I am done. I am, you know, I can't do this anymore. 
and people are placing demand. That's what happened here. You know, people are placing demand on Jesus at a time, you know, when you're grieving, that's not, that's the last time you want to get, to, to get out there and get busy, you know. Um, so Jesus is here in a grieving uh, state, but people still placed demand on him. And so the Bible says that uh, many people, um, you know, multitudes uh, followed him where he was. And when he saw, the Bible says he was moved with compassion for them. And then he healed their sick. Uh, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus was ministering to these people until it was late. So that tells you the kind of demand that was placed on his time, even in a moment he was grieving. So, you know, uh, the demand was placed on him to a point that the disciples were like, send them away, it's late, we can't feed them, you know, uh, we don't even have the resources in this place, we can't access resources in this place, uh, let them go. But Jesus... Uh, you know, in verse 16, say to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And obviously they said uh, to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus says, bring them here to me. So you are in, in a situation where you have all these people looking up to you and there is diminished resources available to be able to take care of all these people. And Jesus now uh, multiplies. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 happens. He multiplies the resources uh, you know that were little. He takes them and multiplies them and feeds uh, the 5,000. So the miraculous happens. Uh, as he was ministering to these people uh, you know and as they placed demand on him, God does another miracle of you know in uh, multiplying the diminished resources available and ensures that everyone is fed and goes you know um, so the picture that I want you to see in that story is that Jesus takes the bread uh, that they give him you know and made people sit down and then he gave thanks uh, concerning that bread and then he you know uh, blessed it, he broke it and gave it uh, to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitude. And I believe that speaks to us about the attitude we need to have of faith even in the midst of crisis. You know, uh, Jesus was not threatened by the crisis, uh, but his faith arose even in the midst of crisis to provide a solution uh, in that crisis uh, of that time. And many times we are faced with crisis that sometimes can be difficult. In a situation where uh, Jesus was faced with a crisis of losing uh, a relative, a close friend, uh, a person who ushered him into the ministry, uh, Jesus retreated uh, to grieve and to mourn. It is human uh, for us to grieve and to mourn. But then beyond that, uh, when he was confronted with the crisis of 
meeting the needs of the people uh, who are looking up to him for help. He did not, uh, you know, uh, he did not uh, disqualify himself for help, I mean to help, but he engaged in helping people despite his pain. That's one thing that we need to learn. How can we uh, help people and minister to people uh, despite our pain? Uh, that's the consistency of the ministry of Jesus. And when you are going to be involved in kingdom business, uh, you need to learn how to be able to rise above your pain and still minister to God's people uh, in the area God requires of you to minister, even in the midst of your pain. You know, so that's what Jesus did. And then now, not only did he do that, Jesus is now confronted with another crisis of diminished resources and he places faith in God for him to be able to uh, work with the little resources in order to meet the need of feeding the people and God supernaturally provides and it's important principle that we learn from him in this crisis that you know the question he asks is what do you have and so in no matter the crisis you find yourself in, that's an important question to ask ourselves that because God keeps asking us that question. What do you have? God will work with what you have uh, to meet the enormous need that may look like it's insurmountable. Thanks for listening to this message. We continue with this topic next week. Until then, stay tuned and blessed of God.